Thanks for checking out The Bridge Podcast, a ministry to St. Francis and the surrounding community. It's not a mistake you are here. We pray God speaks to you today. Service times are 9.30 and 11 a.m. Sunday mornings. Feel free to check us out at sfbridge.org. Have a life-giving week. Can I mess with you a little bit? Okay, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to share a biblical story that no preacher has the guts to share in church, okay? So you can't walk out. Or I'll follow you. No, um, this is, I'm just getting coffee, Pastor Chris, honestly. So last week we looked at the first bizarre story, just to review quickly, you can listen on the podcast, and we looked at Jesus cursing the fig tree. We're like, why, why would Jesus curse the fig tree? You said, you know, die fig tree, and it dies. And we're thinking, what? What is that about? And really it's that Jesus wants control. He wants us to surrender that control onto him. He wants us to say, God, I give you everything, and I'm going to look at you as the center for my life. That's who Jesus is. That's what he wants for us. And so we, we kind of unpacked that story. We looked at it. And, uh, you know, basically we said if Jesus isn't valued above all, he's not valued at all. And so I really encouraged us last week to go, is Christ really the center of my life? Is Christ really the, the focal point of everything that I'm doing? Have I given up control? Have I, have I done that? A really easy way to know is ask your spouse. They'll tell you if you have. Won't you, Heather? I'm getting the nod. This is my wife down here. This is Twigs, by the way. Um, she's about a third of my size, but she really is my better two-thirds for those that haven't met my wife. So I love her. And we have five beautiful, growing children. Four boys. Don't punch him in the face too hard. Um, our next bizarre story, though, picks up here, and I want to give you just a little bit of historical background before we read it. Otherwise, you're going to be like, that is the most strange thing I've ever read in all of the Bible. And if you've read it in the Bible, some of it is, is torture. Some of it is, you know, oh, my goodness, I'm glad we don't live in that day. And then some of it's very comical. You know, so I'd encourage, you know, to read. Read your word. Get inside of it. Um, here's what's happening. We're going to go back to 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, here's what happened. This is just really quick. King Saul has become the new king of Israel. Basically what happens, the Israelites, they whined and they complained. None of us have ever done that, I know, so we can't relate. But the Israelites did. The Israelites complained. And so they, that was a joke, by the way. Come on, stay with me, all right? So the Israelites went and they said, uh, God, we don't want you to be our king anymore. We would really like an earthly king. Can we have that? And God's like, absolutely. And then he had a list of conditions. He said, you can have a king, but your king's going to be evil. He's going to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. You're going to want to crucify him afterwards. It's not going to go well for you, but gladly, surely, if that's what you want, I will give you this king. And so they're like, yes. Really? Yeah, and so they get King Saul, and so here he is, King Saul, and one of the things that took place is God realizing that he had grace for his people. Even though he was just and he went through by giving the Israelites King Saul, he realized that his people, they were, they were getting demolished, they, they, you know, they were cursed, and God saw this and he's like, I need to send them a savior of that day. We're not talking Jesus, we will in just a moment, but we're talking King David. And so he sends them King David. King David gets anointed, says this is the next king, yet King David is very respectful and very submitting to authority and says, hey, King Saul, even though he's doing evil, I'm going to follow him. I'm not going to kill King Saul, even though David had ample times to do that. 
And one of the things that took place here is Jonathan, King, King Saul's son, and David, they became besties. They were BFFs, man. They were hanging out. It even said in the Bible that they, they made covenant with each other. We'll talk about that in a moment. It said that they basically said, wherever you go, I'm going to go. We're not going to curse each other. We're not going to do anything. We're going we're gonna to bond our lives together as one. And so they do this, and we pick up the story here where uh, Saul realizes that God's anointed, or anointing is no longer on him, and he sees God's anointing on David, and Saul gets ticked. He's like, no way, I don't want that. I, he's getting jealous and envious, and so Saul says, I got a plan. I'm going to kill David. I'm going to send him out, and I'm going to kill him, and I've got it. I'm going to give him, you know, my daughter-in-law to be, and so uh, it's, it's a lady named Merab. He's going to give to David as his daughter-in-law, or as his daughter, to, excuse me, to, to King David. They'll be wed, and uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out. David says this is not going to happen. And what happens next, where we pick up the story, is the next person here um, that King David is to marry. In fact, it's the other daughter, Michal or Michael, however you want to pronounce it in the Hebrew, um, is basically in love with King David. And so we pick up the story here. All right, you ready for some eyebrow raising this morning? Here we go. Saul is jealous here, and we pick up the story, 1 Samuel 18, 20 through 27. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, was in love with who? David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him. He thought, doesn't he sound so kind and innocent right here? So that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Then Saul ordered his attendants Speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you, and his attendants all love you. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David, but David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, say to David, here we go, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins. To take revenge on his enemies. What? It's in the Bible. I'm just reading it, okay? Don't judge me. Saul's, you picked it, Chris. Yeah. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines when the attendants told David these things. He was pleased to become the king's son-in-law, so before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. They, it is gross. They counted out the full number. This, this part just really grosses me. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter, McKellen, marriage. Welcome to PG-13 this morning at the Bridge Church. So what does this mean? You're all like, I just, uh, every guy right now is just like, oh, this is, you guys that are getting baptized, I invite your family. That's the last time we're doing that to this church. Man, think about this. Let's say you're King David, and the king says to you, yeah, you can have my daughter, bring me a hundred of those things, and you're like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I'll, I'll chop off their heads, man, I'll do that, you want me to do what? What, what does this mean? Why is this story in the Bible? Is it just, is it just humorous? It's a bizarre story, it's really bizarre, okay? And so David not only does this, but he goes out, and he kills not 100, but how many? Doubles it, okay? And he brings them back, and I just, don't picture this. I do. I don't know why. But I I don't have a slide for this, praise God. But, but I picture David right in front of the king just, you know, taking out his pouch. Here you go, king. Like, And the king being like, all right, 
here we go. She's yours. Have fun. Good luck. You know, and they live happily ever after. If we were to do this today, somebody, you just this was your dowry. You're going to marry somebody today. And you go up to your father-in-law-to-be. Would that be the most awkward conversation you've ever had in your life? If not, you've had some awkward conversations. <laughs> just going to say. All right? And so what would happen if they said this? Well, the meaning isn't necessarily that part of the body, which we're going to talk about in PG form. It's really the fact that he had to go and kill these 200 Philistines. He had to annihilate. You're not going to go take that without killing somebody. Because I will fight you to the death if that's what you're going to do. That, that's what they did. And so David ended up killing these 200 Philistines, brought this back so that he could have this daughter in marriage. What does it mean for us? What does it mean today? Saul could have asked for anything. He could have said anything. He said 10,000 dead Philistines. Saul believed that David was going to die at the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were against God. They were idolatrous. They were evil. And so basically King Saul said, if I throw David out to them, there's no way he's going to come back and live this. It's not going to happen. And yet, because David was God's anointed, he came back and he walked through this. Here's what it means. Let's unpack this just for a moment. The word for foreskin in Hebrew is orla, okay? O-R-L-A-H. Why does that matter? It's the same word in the Old Testament over and over to describe what it means to be a covenant between God and man. First time we read of this covenant um, is with Adam and Eve, and then the same word is picked up later between the covenant that God makes between God and Abraham. Now, covenant is not a word, you know, we don't go around saying, hey, you know, how's, how's covenant stuff going for you this week, you know? You have a good covenant? Why? What are you talking about, man? Crazy talk, okay? And we don't share this story on the street too often either in First Samuel. But covenant is different than a contract. So let me just give us, get us all on board here, and let's look at what this really means for us today. You see, with a contract, if one agreeing party does something in violation, the rest of the contract is considered broken. The whole contract becomes null and void. Basically, the signers of a contract... They agree to hold up their ends as long as the others do as well. Okay, that's that's a contract. That's what we're known for. In fact, if you go to Webster.com and you type in covenant, it will actually say it's a contract. I know we have a lot of people who are scholarly in our audience, okay? Webster isn't always right. Okay? There are umpteen words for love, yet that's the only one we have in our English language. Contract and covenant are two very specific different things. Covenant is this. With the covenant, both parties agree to hold up their ends regardless of whether the other party keeps their part of the agreement. A violation of a covenant by one party doesn't matter as far as the other party's responsibility to continue to do what they agreed to do. Huge, huge difference. Most famous American covenant, Declaration of the Independence. That's the most famous covenant that we have. It's not a contract. It's a covenant signed by 56 men committing high treason against Great Britain. Okay? Their lives were on the line. Ben Franklin was quoted at the time saying, we must all hang together or assuredly we shall all hang separately. This was a covenant. They were united. They were tied together. And so the concluding sentence of the declaration states here, and by the way, American history was not my favorite subject, just learning these things, okay? 
And for the support of this declaration, last sentence, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, check this out, we, the signers, mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You see, to the signers, it didn't matter if any one of their confederates broke or switched sides. It didn't matter. They were still committed to their course, no matter what, even if it cost them their lives. What if I were to say to you, if you want to make covenant with God, you have to be willing to give up your life. You have to die to yourself. That's what covenant is. When we say, you know, at the end of the service, hey, if you'd like to commit your life to Christ, that's what we're saying. We're saying, I want covenant with God. It's basically saying, I'm, I'm dying to myself. I'm giving up my rights for His. That's a tough thing for us. So let's unpack God's covenant with us this morning. If you're with me, say yeah. God will never break His covenant with us. Can we say thank you, God? He will never break His covenant with us. Judges chapter 2, verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. So if God ever does, then the Bible is not true and God is a liar. Can't be both. He's either Lord or lunatic. I believe he's Lord. If he's Lord, then he wants covenant with us. And he's not going to break that even though, have we ever broken covenant with God from time to time? What is it that God won't break with us? It's this covenant. You see, God's not asking for us to go out and kill a hundred Philistines and bring, you know, bring a hundred pieces from them to, to God. He's not asking that of us. Why? Because he wants covenant to be different today. Covenant looks different in our life. What happened from the time of King David to today in the middle there was this person, incarnation of Christ, God in bodily form that brought us salvation if we believe. You see, we're under a covenant no longer of works, but we're under this covenant of grace. Grace. Thank you, God, that we're under grace. It's nothing that we do. We can't boast about it. We can't say, look what I did, God. It's simply by what Christ did. That's it. It's simple. Anything other than that is not the gospel. Anything other than grace is not gospel. And there were these various covenants that God had between man and and himself, and it all started, if you go back, and I just want to give you a few here this morning, the first covenant that we ever see within the Bible, and we'll catch up to our story here in just a moment and close, is this. It was the Edenic covenant. Let me put that first one on the screen. Or the covenant in the Garden of Eden. This is where God said to Adam and Eve, he says, I have covenant with you. I want to be with you. I'm going to be your God. I'm first. I'm center. But then what did God say to man? What did God say to Adam and Eve? He said, but I give you all of this to work. I'm first in command, but mankind, you're second. This was a covenant. This was the first covenant that we see between man and God, and God set it up perfectly. There was just one condition to the covenant. What was it? Don't, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was one condition. Not all covenants are unconditional. Some have conditions. This one did. And so this was a perfect thing in the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful place that we've ever heard about or ever read about, and God says, I will start covenant with man. That's because he wanted not religion with us, but he wanted relationship. He wanted to do life with us every single day. And so that's where they started in the garden, the Edenic covenant. The second covenant was the Adamic covenant, or the Adam covenant. 
Okay, this was a condition. Basically, God said, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to what? You're cut off, man. You're dead. It's gone. Have you ever read the Bible and you see Adam and Eve and they make the mistake? They go and they sin. I know none of us here would have done that, just them. Right? <laughs> wow, we got a lot of people that are like, no, I wouldn't. I bet that fruit would look good, man. I bet that fruit would look really good. They go and they eat. And it says in there in the first covenant, in the Edenic covenant, if you do this, you will surely die. Does Adam die right away? He does not. Why? Why? Because God, for the first time, went and he killed something in the garden to create the Adamic covenant. He killed for the first time we ever see in Scripture so that they could be covered because they realized they were naked for the first time. It was God's grace in this Adamic covenant. Yes, his, na- his days were numbered. No longer was he allowed in the garden. There was all these stipulations. And truthfully, he did spiritually and physically die. No longer was he to, to live forever. And so there was a curse that came with this covenant. The third one is this, the Noah covenant, or Noah covenant. Basically, this was the next one between man and God. And if you remember the story, God obliterated you know, mankind. He took Noah and his family. They went in the ark for 40 days, 40 nights, destroyed everything else. And then if you remember part of the covenant, there was actually a sign to this covenant that God said, I'm going to put this sign in the cloud so that every time you see it, you remember that I will never destroy the earth again. What was that sign? Do you remember? Say it out loud if you remember it. It was a rainbow. Yeah. I love how in our nurseries, you ever done this? You ever, you've probably heard me say this before, but in our nurseries, we go and we paint pictures of like Noah's Ark in our kids' ministry. And I'm like, that's so gentle and cool. That's like God, you know, killing mankind. Let's paint it in our nursery next to where our child sleeps. You know? Really? We've probably, we probably done that. The next one was the Abrahamic covenant. This was huge. God calls Abraham righteous through faith. Okay? Not anything he did. But the Abrahamic covenant said all people through the line of Abraham with this covenant would be blessed. Now, it was specifically talking about those through Abraham's line or the Jewish people, the the Israelites that stem back from Jacob said, they will all be a blessed people and you won't even be able to, to number them. There's going to be so many. And so sometimes for us, a Gentile, which is just a non-Jew, it's hard for us to grasp and hold on to what that really means because a lot of us don't have Jewish heritage. Maybe some of us do, but we go, well, man, that, that covenant's really not for me. Well, I want to show you that it is here in just a moment. Two left, three left. The Mosaic Covenant, okay? This was a conditional covenant given strictly to Moses for the Israelites. May you look at it as the Ten Commandments, or we call it the law, or the things that God gave and said, I'm going to have a relationship with you, but I want you to do these things. Now, when we're not under law anymore, we're under grace, so does that mean that we don't have to follow the Ten Commandments? Why? Why, why do we have to follow them? Do we have to follow them? You know, it's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus came in not to abolish that, but to fulfill it. He took the law to a whole deeper level, and that level was grace. He says, no longer is it an eye for an eye, but what did he say? Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Come with kindness was the deal. So Jesus didn't come to abolish all of the Mosaic covenant. He came to fulfill it so that you and I could have life with these covenants, with an everlasting covenant we'll look at in just a moment. You had the Palestinian covenant. 
This is basically, or you could call this the Canaanite covenant. This is when the Israelites took the land of Canaan. God said, I will be with you. I will give you this land. Can I tell you how many times I have prayed for God to give us St. Francis and the surrounding community? I believe God is saying to our church, I will give you this land because he has covenant with us. Can I hear an amen with that? Come on. God wants us to have covenant with him just as the Israelites did. They walked in. They said, man, there's giants in the land. They said, man, we walked into the land and, and the water bill's really high. They walked into the land and they said, man, the government isn't doing everything that I want them to do. They walked into the land and they're like, man, it's, it's not everything I dreamt of. And they're like, man, I, it, not everybody sees eye to eye here in this land. The water bill was high. But I think God wants us to realize it's just the same today. We have covenant with them. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. We say that, but do we live it outside of these walls? The last one is this, the Davidic covenant. Most phenomenal covenant of all time. God goes and he speaks to David, King David. Here we are, full circle, all the way back. He speaks to King David and he says, King David, through your bloodline will come one that will save all of mankind. Was David perfect? No, David sent somebody out to war and killed him because he had a crush on somebody. I don't know about you, but man, I have some guilt and shame after that for a while. You know? None of us here are perfect, and that's God's grace. And so through this Davidic covenant, we come to the last covenant, the final atoning covenant, the new covenant. Okay, this, this is it. This is where it all stems from. The covenant of unconditional blessing based upon the finished redemption of Jesus Christ. It secures blessing for the church. It flows all the way back from the Edenic covenant to today, including all the other ones, the Abrahamic, the Palestinian, the Davidic, the Noahic, all of them. This covenant is unconditional, it's final, and it's irreversible. This is it. There is no other covenant. This is it. This is where Jesus says, God, these are my people. Jesus goes and he intercedes on our behalf between the Father and us so that we can have eternal life. And so when we say yes to Christ, the Father looks down on us and you know who he sees? Thank you, God, he doesn't see me. He sees the person that took my place. He sees the person of Jesus Christ who's perfect and can be the only one who can prophetically fulfill all of these covenants standing right there. And so when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. Thank you, Jesus. He sees Christ, the living God, the center of everything that I want to be and everything I hope you do too this morning. Covenant. It's a huge word. A covenant is different than a contract. In fact, it's so different, it would be like saying marriage is like prostitution. That's how different it is. And so this covenant isn't, well, I gotta go to church. I gotta do this. I gotta take communion. I, I gotta make sure I'm there. If, I, if I'm not there, I'm gonna go to hell. If I don't do, no, 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 no. Throw, throw that crap out. Stop it. Kick yourself in the face. Okay? Fuck that off. No, I don't know where that came from. God bless the leaders who ever shared that because that's not truth. The truth is grace through faith is how we are saved. That's it. It, it's, there's no ands. There's, there's no additions. There's, 
There's no like, well, what comes after the New Testament? No, it's complete. Jesus' covenant is complete between you and I. A new, everlasting covenant. Let's go back to our bizarre story here as we kind of bring this into a close this morning. You see, King Saul meant this crazy outlandish story for harm. He wanted David to go and die. The moment you say yes to Christ, the moment you give your life to Jesus, the moment you say, I want covenant, I want covenant with Christ, there's an enemy that wants to destroy you. Okay, There's a constant battle between good and evil. It's happening all the time. But what the enemy means for harm, you know what God does? He uses it for good. He takes it and he will. All of it. All of it. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to use us for good. See, without covenant, there is no eternal life. We have to have relationship with Jesus. Matthew, I don't have this on the screen for you this morning, um, but in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' words are this, and these are probably some of the scariest words to me in all of Scripture. You'll see why. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive demons out in your name? Did we not perform even miracles in your name? And then Jesus says, I tell you plainly, I will say to them plainly, I never knew you away from me. That is the toughest scripture for me as a pastor because we can share a good message, we can have great worship, we can, we can do all the right things, we can go to church, we can take communion, but unless we have covenant, unless we're doing the will of the Father, which is to accept His Son, we don't receive eternal life. So my prayer for you today is that God would speak to you in a whole different way. That you'd realize this covenant is that God wants us to be called to life. He wants us to have not only life, but life to the fullest. When we say yes to Him, we surrender our ways to Him. Praise God we're not in the time of King David where he's asking us to go out and bring Him 200 horsemen, okay? But He is saying to us, what he is saying is he's looking for us to cause, it's called circumcising our hearts. It's the same word as covenant. And what that means is saying, I'm bringing my heart to you. I want everything that's dirty, that's unclean to go away so that I'm pure before you, God. And the only way that we can do that is through the blood of Christ. There is no other way. Would you stand with me this morning? You know, I, I've thought about this a lot. I'm like, this is one of the craziest stories, but I think it's got one of the craziest conclusions. Because here is Jesus, think about this, who came and gave up his life for you and for me, even while we were yet sinners. I, I know we, we've heard that before, some of us have, but think about that. A loving God that knew he was going to get crucified, spit on, his clothes sold, he would die on a cross, the most torturous form of Roman punishment, so that you and I could have life. This is the God we serve. This is the God 
who said yes to you and I. That's why we're here. He is calling us to life if you let him. So what I want to do this morning, just in our brief time remaining here in a minute or two, is this. You see, the old covenant is gone, and there's a new covenant. That's through Christ. It's fulfilled with him. We took communion last week, and communion says, this cup is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It's only through the blood of Christ that we receive eternal life. And so I'd like to ask you this out of respect this morning. Would you do this with me? Would you bow your head and just close your eyes for a moment? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.